0: Good morning, my name is Reed and I'm one of the pastors here at Real Life uh, and I'm really, really excited uh, about this sermon series. I'm really excited about uh, 2019 uh, and I'm like the, the resident hype man. So that's why I get the first one of week one in our series called Playbook. Uh, and uh, where we're talking about the future of our church, where we're talking about, hey, what does 2019 hold for us? Um, And uh, one of the really cool things growing up uh, that I got to be a part of was always sports. I was a big sports guy. I love sports. Uh, I still watch sports constantly. It's kind of an addiction. I don't really know what to do about it, but I'm working on it. And uh, I mean, as much as my wife and my daughter are like, "Can you please stop?" But um, but I watch sports all the time. I grew up in a family where that is like one of the top things. It's sports all the time, every day. You live it, you breathe it. It's all about sports constantly. And I realize that when you look at me, uh, you you kind of look at me and you go, "Wow, he is just an athletic specimen. Just <laughs> just ready." Ready for sports, just ready to conquer anyone else in this game. And uh, and I was I was not blessed with pretty much anything athletic that you would enjoy—height, uh, speed, uh, weight—I don't know anything. You name it, I just pretty much don't have it. And uh, which is funny because I'm the tallest one in my family, if that tells you anything. So whatever. So um, growing up, there was only one way, and if you are a sports person, you you realize this, there's only one way to gain uh, a competitive edge, and the only way you can do it is with your mind. And so growing up, the, the only way that I could beat the guys who were more athletic, more faster, bigger than me, had more facial hair, whatever it is, the only way that I could beat them was to learn the playbook so well that I knew what we were doing and what everybody else was doing at all times. I knew what the other team was doing, I knew what I had to do, I knew my job, I could take care of my job all the time. See the, the more that I studied the playbook, the more that I was in and out of the film room, the more I was, I was watching tape of myself, watching tape of the other team, the more that all of this stuff, uh, the more time I spent in this, the more I just found myself in the right position to make plays all the time, which is the only thing that you can do no matter how fast, no matter how big you are, you can only put yourself in the right position to make plays. And so. Um, One of the really cool things is uh, I went to Olivet to play football. uh, And before you're like, wow, that's really cool. You played football in college. Anyone can play football at Olivet. It's not that impressive. Uh, Literally anyone. My five-foot sister could go play something at Olivet. It just is what it is. Uh, But one of the really cool things about playing football at Olivet is it is the Bears summer home. So the Chicago Bears, they go do their, uh, they go do their fall training there, their stuff. And they bring in all their stuff. And then they tell our football team that we have to go like practice on the street or something because we don't matter as much as the Bears. But hey, whatever. They give us cool stuff. So, um, so at the end, one of the cool things that we would do every year is we would be, uh, the team would be the guys who went and cleaned up all their stuff. Now, I realize that you're like, why would you? That's not fun at all. It is fun. Here's the reason why. They made a lot of money. So, therefore, they didn't care about stuff ever. So, they would leave stuff. So, I got like a pair of Chris Conti ke- cleats, uh, the safety for the Bears a couple years ago. I got a pair of his cleats. I got some jerseys. I got some spring training shirts and gear from the Bears. I'm a Bengals fan. I don't even care about the Bears. But, <laughs> It's really cool that I got all this stuff. They would start leaving stuff in their rooms like 55-inch TVs, stole one of those, uh, Xboxes. They would, they would leave stuff all the time because, and, and literally, I saw a guy one time open the door for him. I said, hey, how's it going? I was like, I'm going to steal that TV out of your room. Is that fine? And he was like, that's my spring training TV. I was like, okay. Uh, well, now it's my life TV. So I hope that you're okay with that because uh, I'm going to take that. Don't mind if I do. But the biggest thing, the biggest thing, I was cleaning out uh, one of the apartments of the coaches, uh, and while I was cleaning it out, I found the most valuable thing that you can possibly find. I found the Chicago Bears playbook. Yes, and I kept it. Then I started looking for the the number of the the Green Bay Packers, and I was like, okay, uh, how much will you give me for this? Uh, It's the Chicago Bears playbook. It's invaluable, millions probably. Uh, I didn't call them, but, Guess who showed up at my door? Out of all the things that we found, guess who showed up at my door two days later looking for their playbook? The Chicago Bears. They said, do you have the playbook? I was like, yes. They're they're like, did you take pictures of the playbook? I was like, no. And they were like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, I'm pretty positive. And they were like, okay, can I see your phone? Uh, And they're not trustworthy with playbooks, evidently. Uh, But that just goes to show you how, how polarizing, how popular, or, or like even how, like how much weight, uh, how valuable someone's plans can be. The, they put so much weight, so much stock. It doesn't matter anything else in your life. For the Chicago Bears, for NFL teams, for whatever it is, their playbook is so incredibly valuable to them because it tells them everything. that It tells them how to win. It tells them everything that they need. Here's where you go at what time, all, all the time. Tells you everything that you need to win a game. And so uh, today, when we're going through our playbook series, uh, we are legit, we, we named it playbook because we want to talk about the things that we think are going to help us win in 2019. And so today, uh, I am tasked with talking about our life groups. It's the biggest thing coming in 2019, and it starts up in a couple di- in a couple weeks. Uh, and here's how life groups work. You get together. 10 to 12 people at someone's house over a weekday. You pick uh, You pick the day. You pick the kind of group that you're in. You can be, uh, there's a college kid group. Uh, me and my wife are leading a uh, young uh, families group. There's all kinds of different groups that you can be a part of. There's single women's group, guys group. There's all kinds of life groups that you can get a part of uh, and that you may want to be a part of. And I would say that you should be a part of. Uh, and you can pick the group. You can find the leaders. Uh, if you are a leader, there are these name tags, and you can find someone if you want to ask them questions. Hey, what kind of life group do you lead? Whatever. If you just want to ask me questions, I'll try to answer it. It might not be great, but I'll try. Uh, and you can ask me questions. And there's all kinds of life groups for you to get involved in. And before uh, I realize that this is a strongly all about relationship sermon. And so before I get too heavy into it, I realize that no one likes forced relationships, right? Don't force me into a relationship, I'll get to know people when I get to know people, right? Uh, for you introverts, forced relationships is like prison, and you're like, I don't want new friends, uh, and I don't want to know my inmates. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's, that's just kind of like your life, and that's fine. Uh, well, here's the thing. It is okay. Uh, you can join a live group at any time. They're in 10 week sessions. And so even if you're like, hey, I just want to see how one works the first session. See how pe- like, see if my other introverted friends like it, whatever. And then the next session I'll jump in. Uh, you have that freedom. This is all about when you're ready. And, and here's what I'll promise you. When you're ready to join a life group, we have a life group for you. Even if the first one that you try is not the life group for you, you can join another life group. It's like the perfect, it's like the perfect thing because you can get in a friend group and then when you're like in the friend group, there's no commitment, right? It's like the best friend group ever. You're like, yeah, I would like to ditch all of those friends and go for new friends. And then we're like, yeah, that's cool, do it, you know? Um, So it's like the best, it's the best. And uh, here is one of the reasons why that you should join a life group. All too often, church becomes like an airplane. And here's what I mean like that. Here's what I mean by that. We sit in rows, and if you look around, you're in rows. We sit in rows, we face forward, and we all go in the same direction, and we listen to the same voice tell us what to do all the time. Which is great if you're on an airplane. Uh, But church, church is much different. Jesus did not not create church like this. There's problems with being a church church who is like a bunch of pedestrians on a plane. And here's the problems. We can't know everything going on in everyone's life. The church cannot know everything that's going on in everyone's life. We get paid to be here, we get paid to be stewards of the church, church, be vision casting for the church, but the church is everyone in this room. We all take care of each other and there's no way that I can possibly know over a thousand people. There's just just no way, there's no way. Here's the second thing. We don't grow as much by listening to sermons. I realize it. I, I, I'm just, I'm just a great speaker, and like everything I say to you is like, oh my gosh, eyes open, this is fantastic. Uh, I realize that. But guess what? Like next Wednesday, you're like, meh. like I did, I forgot everything he talked about besides like football one time and him being like not athletic. That, that is. That is the way that our minds work. We are not meant to just sit here and listen to a sermon once a week and then grow. That is, that is, it is not the way that our minds work. It's not how we work. So listening to sermons is easy, but living it out is hard, right? If we, if we became the people that, that we are just by listening to sermons, I would be like Jesus. It, it would be incredible. Like if you could just retain information and then all of a sudden you like live it out, it's incredible, right? It would be just insane. But we don't. That it, Living it out is the hardest part of our Christian faith. It's, it's the most disciplined, the hardest part of that. And so uh, I want to make sure you know that don't, I don't want you to worry about life groups. It's not a counseling session. That's not the purpose of it. You don't have to talk about your deep childhood uh, stuff going on. Life groups is all about being in community with one another. And every week you come together and you talk about the sermons that we talk about on Sunday. You grow together. You live together. You eat together. There's all these different principles. Uh, One of my favorite authors, Bonhoeffer, he says this, Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Into the community you were called, the call was not meant for you alone. In the community of the called, you bear your cross, you struggle, you pray. And so here's the deepest thing. I want you to know that the most important play in our playbook is life groups. And that's why we're dealing with an entire Sunday talking about life groups. It's the most important thing in our playbook. We have nothing else. If we fail to run this play in order to execute life groups properly, then our church has failed. And so I'm saying to you, this is the most important part. Because at the end of the day, we are not a church that sits in rows. We are not a church uh, that just is about Sunday mornings. We are a church of groups. We pray, heal, and grow in groups. That is the most important part of 2019. So here's four reasons why you should join a life group. But honestly, I think once I tell you these four reasons, you're going to be like, these are things that I want in my life in general. And it's not just about groups. It's about things that I want in life. So number one is Jesus' way of life cannot be learned alone. Jesus' way of life cannot be learned alone. In Acts 2.42, he says this, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. He also says in Hebrews, he says, "But encourage one another daily, as long as, it is, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness." See, we always talk about the uh, we always talk about the or we always talk about the phrase, "It takes a village to raise a kid," right? <laughs> Guess what? We're all Jesus's, and we're all God's sons and daughters. We're all His kids. It takes a village to raise each other. We have to be there for one another, we have to be, uh, we have to be there for uh, counsel, we have to be there for critique, we have to be there in order to grow each other in the right direction. We have to be there for each other. This is what Jesus is saying, we have to be in groups, we have to be in a smaller community uh, that is there for each other. The American twist is all about, hey, I have my family and that's really all I need for my village, right? Right? Uh, that is what the American society tells you, uh, but Jesus is saying, hey, listen, you need people even outside of that to invest and love in your family. Jesus' teaching falls into two categories. One is how to develop, how to develop yourself spiritually, and, and, and the second one is how to treat other people. Neither one of those you can do by yourself. Neither one of those you can do alone. Uh, they require practice partners who can provide insight, advice, and encouragement. The ancient Greek word koinonia, translated here as fellowship, has the idea of association, communion, fellowship, and participation. It means to share in something. So the Christian life is meant to be full of fellowship, of sharing one with another. We share the same Lord Jesus. We share the same guide for life. We share the same love of God. We share the same desire to worship Him. We share the same struggles. We share the same victories. We share the same job of living for him. We share the same joy of communicating the gospel. All these things we share. The second thing, why you should join a life group, love needs a laboratory. Love needs a laboratory. See, in the story of Paul and Timothy, Paul takes Timothy under his wing. He takes him under his wing. He's like, hey, I will teach you how to be a Christian. I will teach you how to be a disciple of Christ. And so he takes them through three phases of their relationship. The first one is he takes him in as a parent. He uses words like my true son when he writes him letters. He says, my true son, you are a kid of mine. I will take you under my wing. I will teach you. I will provide you everything that you need to survive and to live and to thrive, right? Same thing you do with your kid. Then he moves on to the second phase, which is pace setting. He starts using, uh, he starts using phrases like I, I've shown you, I have shown you. And he's like, hey, listen, we're at the point now where uh, I've provided everything for you, but now I'm setting the mark for you. I'm pace setting for you. Uh, I've shown you how to love. I've shown you how to lead. I've shown you how to uh, preach the gospel. I've shown you how to uh, live with life with other people. And so I've shown you all of these things, and now go do it. He sets the pace for him. He's like, hey, we're sprinting. You're sprinting with me, right? Even if he has to drag him along. Here we go. We're pace setting. Then the third thing is partnering. So by the end of, of Timothy and Paul's relationship, he starts writing him letters. He starts calling him my fellow worker, right? So it's not my son anymore, my true son. It's, not, it's nothing like that. He's not calling him his kid. He's not calling him someone that he's, uh, that he's growing up. He's calling him something who's an equal. Hey, we've shown you everything. I've pace set with you. You know how to live this Christian life, this disciple life. And now, my fellow worker, we're making a difference for the kingdom of God together. We all need that kind of relationship all the time. And if we've already been through it, then our job is to put someone else through it. We're the Paul to someone's Timothy. In 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 12, it says this, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes... What is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we, only see, or for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. See, we each have hurtful, immature, and even dangerous behaviors that we need to change. That's something that we can all agree on. We all have things in our own life that we need to change. Behaviors, thoughts, whatever it is. But change only comes as we practice the teachings of Jesus, but it's hard work and it's nearly impossible if we try doing it alone. Like I said, it's easy to listen to a sermon, but it's really hard to live it out. It's really hard to live it out. James, one of the first church leaders, addressed this issue by encouraging those who were learning the way of Jesus to confess your sins to each other and to pray for each other so that way you may be healed. See, even in this, in order to be healed, you have to be with a group of people. The third reason why you should join a life group is circles are better than rows. See, if we look over and over and over again at the 12 disciples, we look at how Jesus taught them. It was never in a setting like this, right? They built a church off of a circle. They built a church off of meals together around a table in a circle, not in rows, And so in Mark 6, 30 through 31, it says the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and and rest a while. See, Jesus gives us 30 commands uh, in the New Testament that you can't do unless you're sitting in circles instead of rows. You can't do in this setting, but you can do in a circle setting together. Small groups provide a place to make meaningful relationships where sharing can take place. It also provides refreshment from and a place to go back to. So even Jesus, he was like, hey, do this, do this, do this. Uh, guys, you can do this better. You can, you can learn this. You can cast these demons out. Do these miracles. He's got all these things, right, that he's telling the disciples to do all the time. And I'm sure it's stressful, and I'm sure that it's just go, go, go all the time in the disciples' minds. And we come to the point in Mark where Jesus just looks at him and he's like, guys, great job. Now let's go rest a while together in our group where we are comfortable, where we love each other, where we invest, and we find refreshment, right? So even Jesus knows the power of this. And if you're like me, I love statistics. So let me put it this way. Uh, They did a study of thousands of different people across the nation and people who were involved in small groups and people who were not. And here are... Uh, percentages or here are takeaways from their study. I intentionally make time in my schedule to interact and fellowship with other believers. It's 77% to 34%. 77% being involved in small groups, 34% not being involved in small groups. I intentionally spend time with other believers to help them grow in their faith, 63% to 22%. I have developed significant relationships at my church, 89% to 57%. I am intentionally putting my spiritual gifts to use, serving God and others, 73% to 42%. The, the numbers speak for themselves Is why you should be in a small group. Do you want to be known? Do you want to be loved? Okay, if you do, you should join a small group. Do you want to use your gifts that God has given you? Okay, great. Then you should, then you should join a small group. All of these things are given to you in, in a life group setting, in a smaller group setting. Andy Stanley, who's one of the uh, biggest, he, he's a big-name pastor. His church is huge in Atlanta. He says this about their small groups. He says, let's say that something happens to me. All the staff, all the buildings simultaneously explode. Let's make it a worst-case scenario. There's no staff, no buildings, there's no me. Here's what would happen. On Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday of the following week... Thousands and thousands of adults would gather in homes all over the city and pray together and do Bible study together and take care of whatever family members are left over and the church is going to go on. Because at the end of the day, circles are better than rows. And from day one, we've been committed to creating a culture that's all about circles and not rows. We are famous for our rows, but the strength of our churches is what happens in circles. Number four, Life Group takes church beyond Sunday. Life Group takes church beyond Sunday. Here's some serious questions for you. What if Frodo had gone to Mordor without Samwise? What if? Or, or what if Luke had tried to rescue Leia without Han Solo or Chewbacca? Or what if Bill had attempted to go on an adventure without Ted? It, it just would not be the same. It just it wouldn't be the same. These stories are great because they demonstrate the relationships that develop when people grow, when groups go on an adventure together. One powerful way that Christians grow from small groups is by working towards shared, co- shared goals and common causes. In, uh, in, in Acts 13, it says this, for the, love gave us this or, for the Lord gave us this command when he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. See, a group might work together to provide housing for the homeless or meals for a new parent. They might band together to serve a fellow group member with, with a serious health issue. Or they may bond over pursuing similar goals like developing a spiritual discipline. I I don't know if you're catching on to something, but your group is your own pastors. You are the pastors of your small group. You lead, encourage, grow. You make hospital visits. This is your group, your people. It's the point of small groups, life groups. Everyone is known and they're known well and they're loved well. That's something that we all want. I want to be known, I want to be loved. Something as dumb as someone remembering my birthday when they walk up to you and they're like, read, birthday, January 14th, I remember. You're like, oh my gosh, she loves me, oh. As dumb as it is, is, people remembering things about you, your birthday, uh, your anniversary, whatever, big significant life goals. Hey, didn't you get baptized last year at this one, at this time in January, whatever it is. What's going on in college? What's going on with your spouse? What's going on with your kids? They know all that information. If they know all that information, they, they love you enough to care about the things in your life. That's something that we all want. Uh, when small groups unite to accomplish a meaningful mission, growth is an unavoidable result. We all grow. It doesn't matter if it's numbers or if it's personal. We all grow as people. Imagine you went to the gym for one hour a week. One hour a week, go to the gym. What happens? Yeah, you look like this, (laughs) right? Planet Fitness, that's why I go there, Um, because they don't charge me a lot to never work out. So while it's better than nothing, you'd probably just end up kind of sore, right? You end up sore, you look the same, you don't actually see results. Losing weight and gaining muscle require a good diet and regular exercise, right? One of my favorite actors of all time, favorite actors of all time. I don't really know why, but every single time I see him, I I love the guy. He's just deep down, we have a thing. He, he doesn't for me, but, like, whatever. One of my favorite actors of all time, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. I, I love, I love, look at that guy. Look at him. Wow. You know when you look at people and you're like, wow, you're a grown man and I'm a little boy. That's how I feel <laughs> uh, about Dwayne Johnson. Uh, but I love him. And, and one of the reasons why I love him is because of his sense of humor. And one of the things he did a couple years ago is, uh, is he created an app, and it was called The Rock Clock. And uh, when you download the rock clock, he actually, like, da- he, like, he, like, he, like <laughs> he did, like, a bunch of different little things that would wake you up. So he'd, like, play the guitar and sing. And it's actually him. And he's, like, yelling at you and stuff. Uh, and, it's, and it's super funny. But one of, the, uh, one, of the, one of the things that you could use this app for is you could turn on the rock clock. And what the rock clock would do is it would take you through his entire schedule of the day. So you had to wake up when the rock woke up. You had to work out when he woke, worked out. You had to eat what he ate. You had to do all these things, right? If you don't know, the rock eats like nine meals a day. It's insane. I have no idea how it happens. I don't know how he's that hungry, but he's a big fella. So it doesn't really matter. So, so it would wake you up at rock clock time. You'd wake up at 4.15 a.m. when he works out because he only sleeps four hours a day. He works 12 hours a day. And then he works out three times a day, Right? That is not included in his work time, right? That's, that's not his 12-hour work time. He works out at 4.15, goes home, eats, comes back, works out again, works out at night. Guy's insane, never sleeps, ever. Here's the thing. If you get on, you look up Rock Clock, you'll see people's things of their diary of them trying to follow his schedule. It, it's not possible. People are like, yeah, dumb, idiot. It was the first day. They are like, I quit. It's... It, 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 because it's so intense and everything, the, the amount of time and, and uh, intentionality that he puts into every single day and into his body is just insane. And so when we look at him and we go, man, I want to be like The Rock. No, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> because you will have no fun in your life even though he thinks it's fun. But, and it's just because the amount of intentionality he puts in every single day is just way too much for a normal person to handle. And so if a a person's spirituality is limited to one hour a week, it will be difficult for them to look like the spiritual Dwayne the Rock Johnson, right? And as overwhelming as Dwayne Johnson's like physical body, whatever, as as overwhelming as that is, like, oh, there's no way that I could follow his schedule. Try following Jesus' schedule. It's insane. The amount of time, effort, the amount, of thing, the amount of time he put in other people and his disciples, into his life with God, into his prayer life, everything, into the scriptures. It is insane. And all of us are here saying, hey, I'm a Christian and I want to be more like Jesus. We can't do that in one hour a week. It's impossible. We just can't. It's insane. A small group leads to growth by creating more opportunities to come to know God, to practice the teachings of Jesus, and to grow spiritually spiritually. So here's my question for you that I want to leave you guys off on. What do you want in your life for 2019? Do you, want to go, do you want to grow closer? Closer to God? Closer to people? Closer to the needs of the world? Whatever it is, I'm telling you, statistics, Jesus, everything backs up that you should just join a life group. And you can grow closer to any of those. And so my challenge to you is take a risk and join a life group for 2019. Wherever it may be. Join a life group for 2019. And if you want more information on that, there's a table back in the lobby. You can go ask them as many questions as you want. What kind of group should I fit in? All that kind of thing. Um, and they will answer all of your questions. So let's pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for a uh, chance for us to be together to talk about you. God, thank you for uh, giving us a vision to strive for and to go after. God, we, we pray for that vision. We, play, we pray for our playbook. God, protect it. Uh, use it for your will, for your community, God, for the region, uh, to, to bring more people to you, uh, to love you more efficiently, and uh, to love you more. God, we pray in your name. Amen.